Welcome to the I'm Not a Barista podcast. We're here to talk about all things coffee, from industry careers, brewing tips, community support, and more, with some really incredible people who love coffee as much as you do. Because humanity runs on coffee, and together we can empower all the people behind every cup. We're live. You guys ready? Yeah. Yep. All right, so today we have two special guests, our two volunteers, Vasilia and uh, Maxi. Hello. Hi, everyone. Really nice to be here. <laughs> we have two volunteer writers, and um, we got to know you guys from the article, Coffee Stories, you wrote for uh, I'm Not Barista, and especially uh, Vasilia, you have been with us for two years, a long time. Um Maxi joined us this year, I guess, earlier this year or last year, and already wrote so many stories already. So thank you for that. <laughs> so right, today you guys are here because we want to talk about the volunteers' experience at Ambarista, and then we want to use this opportunity to introduce you guys to our audience. And so let's get started. And let's start with uh, Vasilia. How about that? Let's do it. Okay, so uh, I'm Vasilia, I come from Greece, and I uh, I was living in uh, Dublin in Ireland for about uh, four years up until 2020. And uh, I got a job there as a barista um, back in 2018. Just, it was like a, more like a, a gut feeling because I used to go into coffee shops and I really liked the vibe. And everything, and I was like, oh, it must be really cool to work here. I want to know more about what these people are doing with this, like, fancy V60s and so on. And so I uh, I quit my job. I was working in an office at the time. And I decided to take a break away from my office uh, life. And the classic 9 to 5, it was uh, a bit stressful for me. So I decided to take a break and work as a barista for a while uh, until I figured things out. And it turns out it was the best job I've ever done. <laughs> Well, it suited me anyway. I uh, I absolutely loved it. I loved that I was on my feet. I loved that I was uh, talking to a lot of people, getting to know them. At the same time, I was making them this amazing drink that everybody loves and everybody really comes in with a good mood because they know they're going to have coffee. So it didn't really feel like a job. You know, I would always go to work and I knew I would enjoy myself. Like I was already happy about going to work. So that was in a small family coffee shop in Dublin called Coffee Works. And while I was working there, I was learning a lot about coffee and I got I got super into it. All of a sudden I was reading articles about farms, processing water for coffee, just crazy, crazy stuff that I had no idea about. And it was crazy to me at the time. And I got inspired to uh, start like my own blog because I always enjoyed writing, but I found uh, in coffee, I found a topic I really liked. So I started my own blog as a hobby and just started writing about all the different coffee shops I'd visit in Ireland as I was doing like small road trips. And then I kind of like felt comfortable enough to start um, writing for other people and turn it into a, a job. And so I kept my blog as a hobby, and then um, I started get, um, applying through Upwork to little gigs to get um, uh, some money for my writing. 
and see if I was any good at it. And then when I got feedback from clients that they like my writing, I started improving a few things, I did a few seminars. And now three years later, I'm doing it full time. But uh, aside from uh, uh, having it as a job, I was also, I'm also very interested in volunteering in general. Like I volunteered um, before that in a, in a museum, I volunteered um, in a kids camps. So volunteering has been a part of my life. And so when during the first pandemic, I uh, I uh, found out about Amnara Barista and I saw the little like volunteer on their website. <laughs> I just, I knew I wanted to be part of it. I thought it was a, a great initiative and um, it was really interesting for me to uh, become a volunteer for for something that's about coffee and about people because the community in coffee is, is what I love the most. It's not the drink. Of course, I love the drink, but it's the people, really. So it would give me a chance to... Uh, help Omnera Barista and meet awesome people through it. And it's been great. Yeah, it's been great so far. Um, am I talking too much? <laughs> no, thank you. I, I, I find out we have so many things in common. And then, um, yeah, we, we all love coffee. We have three people here. We, we both, we all love coffee so much. And then I remember uh, our other guest, Maxi, He's also a coffee, oh, a former barista. He used to be a barista and loves coffee, loves writing as well. So I think I think you guys have more comments than me. I'm, I'm, I never work as a barista. So Maxi, tell us about yourself, um, your barista experiences before, and then you like writing as well. Tell us more about it. Yeah. Hi. So I'm Max. I'm from Singapore, born and raised. Uh, spend all 26 years of my life here, but hopefully in the future I get more opportunities to travel, especially for work. Uh, I guess like anyone else, I started working as a barista part-time during my while I was studying for my diploma. I uh, started at 18, which was about 7-8 years ago, more or less. Uh, at that time, coffee wasn't really... Like the specialty industry wasn't really as evolved as it is now. And I guess as anyone else, we most of us got into it because of latte art. And yeah, it was like all the rage in the past. We used to have like little throwdowns and all those in cafes, which were really, really fun. And like Vesalia said, it was really some of the best times of my life, my working life. Yeah, I'm still a student now. And I would say that. Uh, coffee really grew into my life over the years. I slowly shifted away from the latte art front as I got to work in more and more cafes, got some exposure and started learning more and more about coffee. I started buying like lots and lots of coffee books actually and got really deep into the technicals. But over the years, I realized that uh, it's kind of boring in the <laughs> After a while to read so much and all that and all the technicals, it, it just becomes part of daily life rather than uh, as a hobby, as it being fun. And I realized soon enough that the fun part about coffee is really the people. And really, it was such a pity during the coronavirus with the lockdowns and all that, we really lost touch, lost contact with a lot of people within the industry especially since there are many that moved back overseas to their hometown and all that. But 
slowly uh, we're trying to build back the community and all. So uh, during my national service, I would say that I spent more and more time reading about international coffee, like blogs and videos. And really, I guess also because of the pandemic, it really helped people to come out of their shell. And they started posting more and more about their coffee communities. And I got really, really interested in, into that. So recently, uh, I'm still doing my university, but during my free time, I hang out a lot in cafes and a lot of people think I don't work at all. I'm just hanging out in cafes, drinking coffee because of that. But yeah, I, I like talking to all the local roasters and trying to get them together. And we are slowly working towards a coffee community, which we will be launching soon. We're trying to be all-inclusive, not just uh, the barista side of things, but we're trying to bring in more content creators and all of those that do exist in Singapore, but we have a little barrier between the professional industry and the consumers. So we're trying to bridge that gap, sort of. Yeah, so I joined, I'm not a barista, sometime late last year, about six months ago, I guess. Uh, really been an eye-opening experience. At the beginning, I kind of started because I was kind of interested in I'm not barista for a while because of uh, my friend Betty, like she was featured. And I was like, oh, cool. When I have more time, maybe I'll see like, how can I be part of this? And I saw that there was an opportunity for volunteer content writing. And I was like, okay, I'll try and help out and give back to the community sort of. And in the beginning, I was more writing on Singapore coffee scene, but I got to know a lot more international people, thanks to Mickey. And recently as well, we do have a few international uh, audiences or consumers coming into Singapore itself. And yeah, I got the opportunity to talk more with them. I guess it helped me to open up with them as well, because I know more about the international coffee scene. So we have like common topics to talk about and all, all that sorts. So yeah, it's been really fun and hopefully things will start to get better soon enough. Thank you. How, how are you feeling today? Uh, I, I know that you recently got COVID. Are you fully recovered? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I guess it lasts for a while, but uh, it's slowly slowly going away. It's been about a month now. It's feel, feeling much better, yeah. So I guess when you drink coffee, you still can taste and smell, right? Yeah, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Losing our sense of uh, smell and taste, I swear, is one of the worst things that can happen. <laughs> so you guys have so many things in common love coffee mm -hmm. so much and used to work as a barista and now writing articles for coffee community and the interesting people i think uh, you can call you can call this podcast episode i'm not a barista anymore <laughs> <laughs> I never work as a barista, but I think it's uh, it's a, such a nice job. But I used to work as a waiter, and then I I was the kind of waiter you press the button and the you know coffee is ready, <laughs> and they would give it to your customer. So <laughs> I guess I would never get any certificate, you know, like. <laughs> so if anybody have um, ever drank coffee from me or remember my face, I don't want to talk to them because it's <laughs> so shameful <laughs> now. That, you know, horrendous, I'm the barista yeah, thing. <laughs> um, so 
It's interesting, um, Max from Singapore and Vasilis from Greece, and you both have local coffee cultures, very strong coffee cultures there. And Greek coffee is so famous. And then on the other side, we have Kopi coffee. Um, let's talk about the traditional coffee. Let's, and then we have compare, we, we compare them a little bit to see if we can find some similarities between Greek coffee and Kopi. And then we talk about um, what is going what, what is going on right now in each country, especially the coffee community and in general. How about mm-hmm. how about that? That sounds good. Yeah. Okay, that. let's go with the Greek coffee first. Greek coffee first. <laughs> so Greek coffee, yeah. So it's it didn't it didn't always used to be Greek. <laughs> I hope I hope Greek people won't mind me saying that. Well, actually, there is a lot of countries that I have this tradition of drinking Ibrik coffee or otherwise in Turkey it's called Sesve coffee so uh, it's basically they use this little apric pot where coffee grounds go in and they're this kind of like flower consistency and then they brew it so it's like a total immersion brewing and they usually drink it in really small demi-cast cups very strong brew uh, have, has a very different taste to uh, espresso or any other kind of coffee that you've tried probably and so it used to be called in Greece up until I think the 1950s. We were calling it uh, Turkish coffee. Uh, in other countries, so like in Syria where they drink it, or in Cyprus, they call it Syrian coffee or Cypriot coffee. Or I know in Croatia they call it Croatian coffee. So everybody has their own kind of like country name for it. But we used to call it Turkish coffee, yes, because uh, to us it was a tradition that came from there, and it's true, we came from there, Ottoman Empire, when uh, they started drinking it. And it came to Greece because we were under the Ottoman siege for like uh, 400 years. And so, yeah, that was just the name we had for it. And But due to the conflict between the two countries regarding Cyprus, I don't know if you know that Cyprus is divided into half of it is Turkish, half of it is Greek. So there was a big conflict back then. And out of spite for what the Turkish government was doing, Greek people started calling Turkish coffee Greek coffee. <laughs> we're like we're like now it's ours you know now it's our coffee so yeah that's just you know as a fun fact not so fun back then i suppose but um uh we have these traditional uh coffee shops called cafe neo which um for most of the 20th century there used to be places where usually men uh, would gather, they would drink the Greek coffee and they would talk politics, play cards, smoke. Usually women would then like uh, gather in confectionery stores or bakeries and uh, they would drink probably tea. It was considered mostly like a man thing to do, you know, coffee and so on. But obviously as the time passed, this uh, this went away. And uh, our... Um, this this culture of drinking Greek coffee still exists today, and we still have some of those old uh, old timey uh, coffee shops. Um, but of course, there is uh, the modern scene as well, which started, I think, around the eighties. Uh, I would say when um, uh, when a guy in a convention in the second biggest city of Greece uh, accidentally, or so the story goes, accidentally invented a frappe. I don't know if you're familiar with frappe coffee. Is uh, that a coffee with the lots of sugar? I with ice? Sugar. It's basically instant coffee, you know, the soluble Nestle type of Nescafe coffee. But the story goes that he didn't have any hot water to make his coffee. 
So he decided to put cold water in it and then shake it. And that's how he invented frappe. So because we are a country that gets really hot in the summers as well, this became an instant, pun intended, instant hit. So everybody loved it. And, and so we, we do have this kind of like thing that as Greeks that like, you know, we have a history in coffee because after frappe became so famous in the Greece, in Greece during the 80s and the 90s, then we uh, invented our own kind of like cold versions of espresso drinks. So we have Freddo Espresso and Freddo Cappuccino, which is basically a, a shaken espresso with ice. And the milk version is shaken espresso with ice and uh, uh, a lot of like thick milk foam. And we, I actually, I've, I've traveled a lot and I haven't seen these drinks in other countries. Like I've seen, even, even in Italy, which they are actually like right next to us, they would have like cold brews or they have, would have different types of uh, iced coffees, but not really what we have. So yeah, we like to think that we are very creative regarding coffee. And I suppose we are when it comes to uh, these cold drinks, at least. Um, so, yeah, that's as far as the drink goes. And as far as the culture goes, it's like, I suppose, anywhere, uh, with the exception that, like, I don't know how it is in Singapore, but in Greece, uh, coffee shops are open throughout the day and until late at night. It's not like I used to live in Ireland and it used to be we close at five or half five, you know, and then the pubs open and everybody goes for a drink. Well, here, a cafe can be open all day long, every day, nonstop. <laughs> it only closes through the night. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's really our kind of like our place to go uh, to meet people, have a conversation, even have a meeting, a professional meeting, let's have a coffee. That's what we'll say. Um, so, Thanks yeah. for sharing. Summing it up. Max, have you been to Grace before? Oh, no, I haven't, but I definitely should go there one day. <laughs> yeah, now we know uh, they they have two typical Greek coffee there. One is the Turkish Ypres coffee, and then we have this new modern with a lot of ice. I don't remember the name called Frappe, right? Frappe. That's like it's more like an eighties nineties thing. But ever since we invented the cold version of espresso, so like Freddo espresso, we drink more more uh, more people drink that one. But there are some people that still drink Frappes, yeah. And it's very easy to make at home actually cool so let's hear the story from max maxi about the copy coffee what's the story about that yeah it's so interesting it's so interesting to hear that uh over in greece there's so many different types of coffee traditionally because over here mainly uh our so-called traditional coffee we what we call kopi and uh, i won't tread too much into the cultural or origins of it because there's a whole debate going on for that basically it's a it's, yeah i don't want to get targeted by like proto oh, this is like a turkish coffee and great coffee right <laughs> yeah everybody has their own opinion uh, we have to pay for the patent <laughs> yeah it's just the name the trademark mm. basically it's a it's a it's a southeast asian coffee uh what we call kopi kopi is a malay word for coffee and Actually, it's quite elegant because we are such a diverse, we have such diverse cultures over here, even not just in Singapore, but Malaysia and Indonesia, where kopi is uh, widely consumed. And it's strange because 
Kopi, like I said, is a Malay word, but when we go to a coffee shop, uh, even the word, like the term coffee shop, we call it Kopi Tiam, but Tiam actually stands for shop in Hokkien, which is a Chinese dialect. And we see a lot of this even while we order our drinks. Like if I wanted a black coffee, I will order a Kopi O, and O is actually uh, black in Hokkien. So there's a mixture of like Malay and Chinese dialects and all that, which is quite interesting. I guess it really shows the diversity in our culture, which is quite interesting. Uh, before specialty became a thing, everyone only consumed Kopi, which is traditionally made uh, in a sock kind of thing. Not at home, but mostly in the in the in the coffee shops, they're made with salt. At home, we traditionally just uh let the coffee grains settle at the bottom, and then we pour it out, hoping that nothing comes out. <laughs> it's super so, ghetto. You're talking about the used sock, right? The, the yeah, one but we don't beer. use those at home. Yeah. Okay. So I hope they yeah. use the new one. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just too much trouble to. Uh, use a sock at home because you have to wash it and all that. But I've seen socks being used in quite a few cultures. Even in Japan, they do have sock coffee. Um, but the way our coffee is prepared and roasted is slightly different in the sense that even during the roasting stage, yes, we roast super, super, super dark until it's black. And the coffee is basically sweating, like it's shimmering with oils and all that. And we not only roast it till it's dark, but they're also roasted with a lot of sugar and margarine to give it kind of like, I guess you can say umami kind of taste. (laughs) And once the coffee is ground, uh, the most basic drink I say everyone will go for is just a basic kopi, which would be uh, just a coffee prepared with a sock and condensed milk. So it's kind of like sweet, bitterish, super intense cup of coffee and even though we a lot of us as baristas we work in specialty coffee shops but we are not ashamed that we still love that taste even though it's super unhealthy like there's sugar in the roasting stage and the preparation stage it's just a lot a lot of calories but i guess the good thing that specialty has brought now is that there's so many more flavors so we are slowly shifting Thing to a healthier lifestyle uh, but end of the day I don't think we can do without kopi because it's really like ingrained into our culture so yeah. we're in the middle of this transaction from the old traditional coffee local coffee into the new specialty coffee is that correct yes that's right but I think most people will still like even if uh, a lot of people in the afternoons, they go to their usual cafe, coffee shop, get a cup of specialty coffee. Maybe they have two or three throughout the day. We normally start our mornings with traditional coffee. Like we need the caffeine kick. Also because they are, uh, traditional coffee use almost 100% Robusta. So naturally they have a much higher caffeine. And we also have uh, what I believe people call bulletproof coffees overseas but over here we call it kopi guyo guyo is uh basically butter in hokkien yeah we throw a stick of butter directly into the coffee we just stir it a little and we drink and it's delicious it sounds like christmas (laughs) 
but it's, it's super sinful. I must say, oh. I'm not a big fan of bulletproof coffee. I got it once in um, in the United States. I didn't know what it was, but if I, if I ever see something on a coffee menu that's like I don't recognize, I order it out of curiosity. Most of the time, it's okay. Usually, I'm not like hit with any like really, really intense surprise, but that time... I couldn't even drink it. Like I took a sip and I just couldn't do it. Maybe you use different butter in Singapore than the US. <laughs> I don't know. Is it made with espresso over there? Um, I guess I guess that one was with filter coffee actually, because I had it and no, I had it in a big mug and it was filter coffee. I don't know. Maybe uh-huh. maybe I I thought it was very heavy and very kind of like fatty, you know? I don't know. Probably need some whiskey in it. No sugar. There was no sugar, so maybe that's the difference. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You need a lot of condensed milk or sugar to like mask the, yeah. the yeah, bitterness and all. <laughs> anyway, well, one difference that I do notice um, is I think in between what Max was saying and what's going on in Greece right now is that I don't really see my generation uh, having um, Greek coffee, you know, when I go out with my friends or when I meet people age similar to mine, it, it would always be either filter or some form of a espresso drink. But I I have done for an article, I was doing some market research recently, and I, I learned that like Greek coffee is still number one in sales. So like in supermarkets. So most households in Greece do drink Greek coffee. It's just the new generation because of the modern way, the way things are changing. They would prefer espresso, especially the cold versions. And filter coffee is coming up like third. Oh, and a lot of uh, people still buy instant coffee. So we're still kind of like, you know, not letting go of some of the traditions, but like I think that's kind of like the older generation. And then my generation is kind of like trying the new specialty stuff or they're um, focusing on espresso. I see. Um, we, we talk about traditional coffee and just re- reminds me the other side of the great coffee is Turkish half of it. Uh, it seems Turkish coffee is never uh, fading uh, fades away because people still order a lot of Turkish coffee. I, I'm not why, because if you go to a restaurant and go to some coffee, you want to try Turkish coffee. It just for the eyes is beautiful, right? They, they make with the hot scent and they came out freshly with the, lots of aroma there. But if you say Greek coffee and the Turkish coffee, they are similar. So I, I'm wondering what is the reason that, you know, same coffee, but then Turkish coffee is still very popular and Greek coffee is now that popular among young, young people. And the, the question goes to uh, could be coffee. Is it still a thing um, among young people or they don't drink it? Um, I would say for us, a lot of the youngsters still do drink kopi, especially uh, if it's iced. Like it's the most, one of the most commonly ordered beverage at any coffee shop, especially since we, I, 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 when I say coffee shop, I don't mean like a, uh, specialty coffee shop. I mean, like we have when we say coffee shops over here, we typically typically mean it's kind of like a how do I say this? There are probably about ten stalls, and nine of them sell food or snacks. 
and there'll be one store that just sells drinks. And typically, like you can order your food from any store and then go to the drink store and normally people will order kopi from there or iced kopi. Uh, don't know much about Turkish coffee. I've had it before over here and overseas as well. I'm, whoa, I'm clearly not sure what the traditional flavor of it is supposed to be. I've never, I will say I've never tried like a true blue uh, Turkish coffee. But I'm okay with the taste. It's kind of like a watered down espresso. I'm going to get killed for saying this, aren't I? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what I think the difference is on why uh, people in uh, Singapore, for example, still like traditional Singaporean coffee? I think coffee, uh, I think uh, Turkish coffee is not easy. Like it's not easy to drink. You know, It's, it's what people had for so long. But in comparison to uh, espresso or filter, uh, Turkish coffee is a bit heavy. Um, it's it's full immersion. It's short. Um, it's um, you, you you don't put milk in it. Not traditionally. If you put milk, someone's gonna look at you and be like, you know, what are you doing? You're doing this wrong. You know, it doesn't taste good with <laughs> milk. Uh, it's it's not. There's not many things you can do with it. You know, and you when you have so many other alternatives with um, with espresso. So like you got your milky versions, you got your black versions, you have your cold brews, which is okay, not espresso, something else. But like there's so many other things. Whilst coffee, I mean, you guys could put condensed milk in it. I mean, who doesn't like that? You know, <laughs> everybody loves. That. So I think it's a bit easier, you know. Yeah, definitely. And it's cheap. Yeah. Earlier you talked about um, coffee take, how much it costs? 40 cents or something? And then especially coffee there in Singapore costs cost $4? Yeah, if we're talking USD, uh, typical latte is about 4 USD. Uh, uh, traditional kopi is about 50 cents, 60 cents around there. Very expensive. How about in, in Greece, like a regular, like let's say latte? Yeah, in Greece, the Greek Greek coffee would be the cheapest. Uh, so it would be between, I say, one fifty and two fifty, depending where you're having it and how you're having it. If it's a double shot or a single shot, because Greek coffee does have that too. You can have uh, more or less. Um. Uh. But. The interesting thing about Greece is that if if you're like having a, a let's say a latte and you're having it in the coffee shop, uh, you might end up paying like around four euro right now. Uh, that not being specialty, just regular uh, commodity coffee. But if you take it to go, it might be two euro cheaper. So like if you take your coffee to go, you don't sit in the cafe. It's less money. And a lot of coffee businesses here work a lot with like deliveries and takeaway coffees. And people do prefer it taken in the takeaway coffees. It's cheaper as well, you know? Oh, it makes sense. Well, in some way. So uh, you, you guys, you both write coffee articles and you know the coffee industry very well, both local and international. Uh, let me ask you guys, what is the new thing you see since 2020? 2020 since pandemic have you seen anything new that is very very different from before any trends i mean the 
number one thing since 2020, which we all know is pandemic time, it's uh, home brewing. It's a, a lot of coffee businesses uh, are have shifted their kind of like uh, marketing techniques to sell more coffee for brewing at home because people really got into that. And we know that as well, because in, I'm not a barista, we started the whole Brew at Home campaign to get people together and we see how much people like it, you know? And so it's definitely a trend. People got people got really into it. So I say that's the number one. You know, there's a, a shift of focus as well in uh, more like gourmet coffee. Let's call it that. Let's not call it specialty yet because people are still trying to uh, kind of like figure it out. But they are asking questions. You know, like uh, all of a sudden everybody had time on their hands. And, uh, you know, one of their favorite habits became that. And so a lot of uh, people have started watching videos, reading articles, wanting to know about brewing techniques. And that's one of the things that my clients wanted me to write most about, like how to brew this, why is this different to that? And meaning people are asking these questions. Can I ask you, who are, who are your clients? Who, um, in addition to another barista? Like who... <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, like, so I, I mainly work through Upwork, which is like an online platform for freelancers. And uh, you can just basically like, let's say... Um, filter coffee blog or coffee writing and it will show you ads for people who are asking uh, for uh, copywriters who are writing about coffee and know the coffee niche and it could be anyone so like i've had clients from all over the world that have different kind of like a, um, target audiences or want different things so maybe they have a coffee blog and they want uh, articles about teaching people how to brew coffee but in the article, you know, like you optimize it for search engine optimization and maybe their goal would be to sell through, sell coffee through the um, uh, blog or others have a goal of like sending people to other affiliate blogs and make money out of that. So that would be like more marketing writing. Uh, so you are teaching essentially the readers something about coffee. And if they're more interested, there are links obviously that take them to other pages to buy equipment or to like... Uh, I don't know, by coffee. And so that's more like marketing focused. But then again, there are other clients who uh, just want uh, um, more like uh, educative articles. And that's more, more interesting for me because it uh, has to do with research and not so much with uh, uh, marketing. So um, I write for other publications that are more known in the community of coffee. And so like, it's like Barista Magazine, for example. Or perfect daily grind. This is not. This is more like uh, research articles that I do uh, about uh, different topics that I discuss with the editors, and it's uh, more community focused. Well, so there's like a balance between these two. So it really depends. Like with freelance writing, I don't know what Max's experience has been, but with uh, my experience is like, you know, it's constantly, constantly rolling, and like you get clients that you might have for like a few months, and then someone else uh, someone drops you or like you finish like a partnership and you start with someone else and everybody has like a different kind of like idea of what their writing wants to be so usually i divide it to marketing and research and when it's marketing it's a bit less creative but um you know it still serves a purpose for these people it's their business so it just depends what the client wants Great. So you've done most, mostly about writing uh, for different magazines. We, we know the big names, 
Burst Magazine, Perfect Daily Grind, and I'm not Burst as well. And uh, Max, what do you do except writing? Uh, I remember you had some cool school projects about those color meter for roasters, and then you also mentioned that you have a you are building a platform to help local Singaporean uh, roasters to reach out more international sale、uh, clients. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so as、uh, this, I've only started writing for I'm not barista actually. After I started volunteering. But I mean, I've been writing my whole life for my like my diploma. I'm currently still in my final year of university, and even like I said, coffee has grown grown into like a big part of my life. And most of my project for universities are actually very very coffee based. I guess it's easier. Like what Vesalias has mentioned, it's kind of like when you're doing like research writing is creative in a sense that. You need to know really what topic you're writing about and where to find the resources, and it's really very different from content writing for a blog because, like, when you're writing for a blog, you need to know your、uh, you know you need to know your audience to a certain extent, but you really need to understand who you're interviewing. Whereas when I'm doing a research project, for example, I'm currently writing a dissertation. Thesis on a coffee rose color meter. Basically, what is it does is kind of like a light tells, which most what most roasters do, and they use it to measure the consistency of their roast based on the color.、Uh, what is given by the SCA by what、uh, they follow the Ectron color scale standards as well. And when I write my dissertation, I have to do a lot of research on color signs. Uh, image analyzation technology, and a lot of other stuff, which is actually quite fun to do because I get to experience a whole other side of coffee that people don't really see on a daily basis. Which it it just goes to show how much background work goes into a lot a lot of coffee books out there when they get very deep into technicals, but they don't really mention it on the surface. Yeah, aside from that, uh. I yeah, as you mentioned, I'm currently working on a project. It's called Coffee in SG, Coffee in Singapore. Basically,、uh, we just opened an Instagram page today as we're talking. And basically, what we're doing is we're trying to supplement our local roasters and try and help them to hit international markets. So we'll be trying to do maybe some box sets as such of just purely Singapore roasters, like a tasting box. I believe a lot in the during the pandemic there have been a lot more subscription services that offer such tasting boxes. I believe the Right Rose is doing one. There's some other companies that are doing some great stuff, but we we really really want to get Singapore coffee out there. And yeah, we just want to have a box of maybe like eight roasters come together. People from overseas, international can buy and really really taste what Singapore coffee is about. But from the roaster side of things,、uh, I believe you spoke to Aslam before. He actually runs a roaster forum SG, which he kind of he's kind of like a spokesperson. I I don't think he thinks of himself as one, but he really is. He really brings all the roasters together, and we just had a mass cupping session at the community coffee recently, and we had some international people 
uh, work with, uh, come over and cup some coffees with us, made some friends, which was really very fun. It's really nice to experience such events over after two years of being like locked, cooped up at home. And I'm hoping that the coffee in SG, uh, or where we're, what we're calling the Singapore Coffee Collective, will be able to create a more collaborative effort with people that are not working in coffee. So uh, you were saying before that what's new in coffee recently in the past two years, and we've actually had a lot of smaller coffee shops open up over here, which is kind of strange. I guess a lot of people have a lot of time to think about what they're doing with their life and such. And they, are, they decided not to chase uh, the corporate life. Uh, I've seen like secondary school teachers coming out and opening their own cafes with like a decent espresso machine inside, which was really very interesting. And we've actually had a lot more content creators pop up recently, actually. There are a few that are really, really very good. Uh, some of them specialize in videography, like there's this guy called Capture Offy on Instagram. And I've made friends with some of them. Yeah, and I'm hoping that this new platform, Coffee in SG, will be a safe space for homebrewers and all these content creators to come on and show what they're made of. And also, basically, we're trying to bridge the gap between professionals and homebrewers or consumers, basically. That's a really cool project. And when you talk about this new account you launched today, is called Singapore Coffee Collective, right? And I just follow and you guys, I became number six. I'm not burst. It's a number six followers on your platform. Uh, and you're welcome. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. Well, you talk about peep, uh, coffee roasted in Singapore, right? Um, remember, Vasilia said you were drinking coffee from Betty today. She's a local roaster. And tell us about the coffee you're drinking right now. Because we, we earlier we helped Betty to build her website, rebrand her little business. Tell us about the coffee you're drinking. How do you like it? And so Betty sent me some amazing coffee. The one I had this morning uh, was uh, uh, Panama Geisha by uh, Jose Quintero. And she roasted it. And it comes in this like amazing pink bag that she has. I just I love Betty's aesthetics uh, on Instagram and in general how she uh, brings together her design ideas and aesthetics into uh, her coffee business. And it was amazing. It was very delicate, um, clean. I did a V sixty with it. It's my classic. Just my classic recipe. Always works. Never fails. And yeah, I've been having it for the past three days, and I'm 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 afraid to say today is finally over. <laughs> I, I finished it all, and yeah, it was it was amazing. And I I've actually had uh, another one of her samples because she sent me some like uh, one single portion uh, coffee bean samples in the vacuum sealed bags, and that was also great. It was very unique. It was a coffee from Indonesia. Um, I can't remember the name right now, but. I thought it was brilliant. The flavors, like it was very um, kind of like tea-like, kind of like floor, very floral, a bit fruity, and uh, I was very impressed in general, like uh, by uh, the way she roasted it. Uh, both coffees actually, 
Uh, she's very talented. I don't know. It, it just, it just, I just felt like I said earlier. I just felt a bit privileged, like having getting to try a uh, coffee roasted in Singapore in my uh, apartment in Greece. I think it's really great, and uh, I hope to see uh, more uh, uh, Singaporean coffee roasters getting their coffees, getting their coffees here and uh, in other places in the world. So I think this uh, Singapore Coffee Collective is uh, a brilliant, a brilliant way of doing it. And I wanted to say that, like, I, I love the project that they have going on there with uh, the communal spaces. So I know Betty roasts uh, in, a, in a space where, like, there's a lot of roast machines and you guys all get together. We don't have that here in Greece. Not yet, anyway. No? No. Everybody has their own roaster? Oh, yeah, there's micro roasters and there's bigger roasters, yeah, but, like, nobody has done this kind of, like, a shared space uh, initiative, which I think is great because... It gives the it gives a chance to um you know to small time people like uh, the, that they're just starting not to have like this a uh, huge geese and pot which costs like I don't know ten grand for a small one but it's insane money you know and then how are you gonna learn when you already need so much money to get a roast machine you know like I think it's great it's a great initiative maybe I should open up a certain space here and you know make a business out of it. <laughs> That's a great idea. You should call it I'm not roaster. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm roaster. <laughs> yeah, you just ran out the machines and built up the community there. <laughs> we'll be our sponsor. So talking about coffee roast in Singapore, the question goes to Maxi, does Singapore grow any coffee at all? Uh I mean we have coffee plants for sure for this flavor. We don't grow our own coffees. Okay, so uh, you were talking about this platform, Singapore Coffee Collective. You you want to help the roasters reach out international audience. So we are talking about the coffee from some other countries roasted in Singapore, right? How do you, yes. how, What is your plan to market this? Because you are not growing coffee there, you only roast them. You you kind of like branding the roasters there. And how do you differ those roasters in Singapore, let's say from uh, from roasters um, from Italy because we basically have the same coffee mm. most of the time, I guess. I think what we have here is quite interesting in a sense that we get a lot of uh, Southeast Asian farmers from Indonesia, like uh, what Vesalia was saying, Betty had this Indonesian. Uh, I know what coffee is that. It's actually the Kamala Flores. It's a Kartika varietal, which uh, Michael Yassin actually used for his World Barista Championships recently. Uh, yeah, we do get all these interesting coffees because we are so close to the farms. And Singapore is kind of like a trading hub. We, are, we have one of the biggest and most active pots in the world. So it's easy for us to uh, bringing in all these coffees and to send it overseas. We've recently been working, a few of the roasters have been working quite closely with some Thai coffee farmers, which is really, really, very interesting. I mean, Thai coffee literally tastes like Thai food. <laughs> and I'm sure that, yeah, I guess it's because we're so close with them that we really can feature all these coffees, which I think what international audiences will feel is unique about us in that sense, which is why I suggested rather than, I mean, I'm more of a business kind of guy because I've been, that's what I study basically. I told them rather than trying to 
individually get international sales, why not we work together, try and build a platform that we can promote Singapore coffee on? Because we've spoken about before, if you ask most people uh, sing, uh, or you tell them about Singapore coffee, then they're like, huh, Singapore? Is that, uh, which part of China is that? <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> we're literally like in, below Malaysia, which is quite a ways away from China, honestly. We're actually, a tra- traditionally, we are a Malay country. We are founded as a Malay country. Our, like our national anthem is even in Malay. Yeah, so by building a platform, and allowing more and more people to contribute to it. I'm hoping that it will help us to get more attention from international audiences. And we are actually working with some uh, importers or exporters overseas that I'm hoping they'll take our coffees. Like recently, we had Shivansh from India that came down to Singapore. And he was just hanging out at a cafe and he was... Really, really interested in the coffee. So we got talking to him and he's actually a roaster in India. And he got so interested in our coffees and he was so impressed that he actually straight out bought like four kgs worth. Like he did a pre-order with people back in India and he sold out immediately and he's like emptying his luggage back just to make space to bring coffees back. So I'm hoping you'll see more of these collaborations with uh, international people as well to try and make a name for ourselves. That's a great strategy, I, I believe, because you guys are really close to the source, to the farmers, and even you don't produce coffee beans there, but you can work closely with the farmers directly, right? Yeah. It's just so close from, from Thailand, and people really don't hear much about coffee from Thailand. Have you tried coffee from Thailand, Vasilia? I can't say that I have. I can't remember having a coffee. I think I would, have re- I would remember because it's just something that you don't kind of like, pass by you know it's not an origin that you uh, uh hear very often exactly so singapore definitely has a chance to work with those farmers from from thailand from from india from uh philippines i, I think this is a great opportunity for for those countries to work together collaborate and then you know build the a new brand image about coffee from south asia it's very interesting is there anything that you have similar in Grace? Well, no, I think we are kind of like already known to an extent in the speciality coffee world, if that's what we're talking about. Um, uh, because, okay, so I've been away from Greece for like six years. And when I got interested in coffee, I was in Ireland. So I didn't know much about, about it here. But the past uh, year and a half that I've been back, well, Jesus, two years and a half now. Um, it's been, it's been uh, kind of like me getting to know the Greek coffee scene a little bit, and definitely the speciality one. And I've noticed that um, uh, we have had uh, a, an interest in the speciality coffee world from the two thousands. So it started kind of like two decades ago for us. It, it was small scale back then. But it was getting bigger and bigger, and then there's a boom in the tens to the twenties, so this past decade. And I've noticed, like going around the world and traveling and visiting coffee festivals, that people are aware already of Greek coffee roasters, and we do have some big names in the speciality world. That we have a lot of competitors in the uh, championships and so on. And so, you know, people know us, it, like. Um, in a roasting sense, obviously, because we're not like a producer, we're not a producing country, and we do have some uh, good um, good titles in the competitions as well. So, uh, 
there's a bit of a difference there, I suppose, to um, like uh, uh, upcoming uh, origins in uh, Asia or Southeast Asia to Greece, because we're not like a producing country of coffee. But uh, the feedback's always good. You know, when I say I'm from Greece, they would name a few roasters that they know. And usually I'd meet other Greek people in coffee festivals and <laughs> work there. So like Greece is a little bit like young people here. They're very uh, small business orientated and uh, small business minded, let's say. So we're not afraid to open up a small coffee shop or a small roastery and like start experimenting with stuff. And, you know, like hospitality is big for us. So we rely on tourism. So we always innovate in that kind of like area of our um, country's industries in general. It's very interesting to see two countries have different strategy. And of course, you, you, you guys in the different stage in the coffee community. Um, so we talk about the Singaporean roasters. They use coffee directly. It was through di direct trade or because they're so close, you don't have to go to some special traders for that. You can talk to farmers directly. Is it? Is that correct? Um, we do have a lot of importers over here, quite a few actually, especially for coffees from like Colombia and Panama. But for the closer countries, we do see a lot of direct trade. But because we're such a small country and it's so easy to move stuff about, we do a lot of uh, sharing for delivery, especially if we ship by sea because those have to come in like big pallets, multiple bags and like over three tons of coffee kind of stuff. Yeah, so... A lot of the roasters actually talk to each other and like, hey, can I grab, I heard you're bringing in like this coffee from Thailand. Can I grab like uh, th 30 kilos from you? I just want to try it out kind of stuff. And they are more than happy to share the shipping, honestly. That's good. Uh, you, you guys think the rainforest or those, you know, certificates for farmers are also important in Southern Asia? Like, uh, Vasilia probably knows that a lot of farmers, they, they have to invest in those certificates, like rainforest, direct trade, and yeah. some other things. And it seems very important for farmers in, in Brazil and Mexico, somewhere else. How about the situation in, in Asia? Do farmers, like, uh, trying to get those? Um, actually, it's kind of it's kind of varied depending on the state. Because Asian countries tend to be really, really very big. And we have different, I won't say governments, but we ha we still have, especially in some countries like uh, Malaysia and Indonesia, we have like different sultans for each state. So the rules kind of vary and change. And uh, not everything is black and white. I mean, there's a lot of under the table stuff going around and such. I guess can't say too much about this either. You know, some people will get in trouble. <laughs> 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 who got in trouble <laughs> not me I'm not doing anything <laughs> I suppose that farmers need to look at their kind of like um, their situation and what they can afford and the, the benefits of it because there's so many certifications right out there these days like there's organic there's fair trade there's bird friendly um, you know there's a few of them and um, they have to see if their farm can follow the guidelines of one of these certifications and then what will this organization that certifies them is going to offer them. Like um, when you get that certification, usually the organization offers help with like um, 
farm like construction to make it uh, more uh, organic or they, w- they will help you uh, build um, water specific watering systems or like mine the biodiversity around you so you're not like contaminating any water and so on so it's it's very uh, I think it's a very individualistic approach. Uh, but it definitely is to the benefit of coffee farms to do this because they'll only receive help uh, help and people these days um, they're interested in in this stuff you know they they want to know if their coffee is organic or fair trade they might not understand what it means but they like the word yeah i mean everybody loves this certificate mark right yeah on instagram you have this blue badge certificated or verified yeah, mark certified, uh, uh, <laughs> no. yeah yeah exactly so when you talk about all these let's say fancy names i i guess farmers somehow have to pay for them or have to invest their their processing methods to to get new equipment to get those to reach that level and it reminds me baristas you you bought you guys are uh, were baristas and did you ever try to get this SCA certificate to be a pro approved barista? Um, so when I started, um, I took just a, like a regular barista course. It was an SCA certified, uh, just to uh, have a certificate before going to work as a barista and to have some practice. So I don't slow uh, my uh, colleagues down by having them show me absolutely everything. Um, but then I found out about the SCA and I read their modules and I thought it was very interesting. I was like, okay, they offer certifications, yada, yada, yada. That's really cool. You know, I was reading their curriculum and so on. I did the SCA Bruin Foundation and I had a plan in my mind to kind of like do all of it. Like, if not all of their course curriculum, just at least like finish one up to the, I think there's foundation, intermediate and professional. I wanted to finish one at least professional level. Uh, but the more I was getting into kind of like the coffee world, the more I was reading and learning, I just uh, might not sound very nice. <laughs> but like I, I sort of like realized their business still, you know. And like I, I found the whole module and curriculum way too expensive or and unnecessary, at least for me, because I realized that I wasn't going to have a career as a barista. I said, the more I got into writing, I enjoyed that aspect a lot, the writing about coffee. And um, I, I guess like it's a good to have like an education body that organizes like a, a lot of uh, events and so on and gets the community together. But I find the, the whole curriculum and the idea behind it's uh, very expensive. And I just view them more like as a business thing now, you know, yeah. if I may say so. Of course, you may. Uh, we, we questioned about this earlier. Uh, we, we made a story post, a vote on Instagram, ask people their opinions about baristas should have this certificate SEA or not. And 95% of people say, no, you don't need it to be a good barista. And especially nowadays, you can learn almost everything. And you mentioned that it's very expensive to get those uh, advanced courses. Maybe you can tell us how much. Because you work in Ireland and you're supposed to get higher salary than Barisa in, in India. <laughs> so I'm just wondering, what is the price? Oh God, that was like uh, three years ago. I, I can't I can't say I remember very well. I think it was more than, I think it was nearly 300 for one course. Maybe either a little more or a little less, but it was somewhere around there. However, if you want to do a whole module, 
I think you spend uh, nearly a grand, never mind the whole curriculum thing. Um, but, you know, some people see it as an investment and they think like uh, the certificates matter and so on. But, you know, if, if you want to be certified, you have that idea in your mind and you think it's worth investment, time and money. Like, you know, it's fine, but uh, you definitely don't need it to be a good barista or good at anything. Really. Practice will make you a good barista, you know? Exactly. Just wondering if you want to be a barista champion, right? You compete on the stage. Is necessary a um, necessarily a requirement for you to have that, you know, as a course? Because they organize that thing, right? Is it? Definitely not. The competition. No. No, they are not related. No, no, no. They have events no, and competitions. I, I, I guess they they uh, they would get bad rap if they did that you know <laughs> these competitions it should not be about them trying to make money through selling modules or curriculum or classes it should be just about you know I mean uh, what what's going on in Singapore like uh, the SEA community what is going on there and what is your opinion about you know barristers or roaster have those SEA I mean it's uh, similarly it's really expensive to get a SCA certification over here. Uh, SCA doesn't actually do it themselves. They kind of outsource the rights to training and certification to some other coffee companies that are licensed to do so and such. Uh, there's still a certain standard to it, I guess. But I don't really recommend baristas to get a certification. I mean, if they want, then uh, they can go ahead and do so. But the certifications over here are kind of basic like basic brewing basic barista course how to make coffee how to use your espresso machine so and so but i would say like vesalia has said all these things come with practice and experience and most cafes they actually have quite a solid training curriculum maybe because we have a lot of small cafes and the owners are really really like in touch with the business itself so they either have a really good head barista or usually the owner is kind of working behind the bar as well. So they do ensure that their staff are well-trained. Uh, it's definitely not necessary to have a certification to take part in competitions. I'm pretty sure 99% do not, <laughs> or especially the champions. But we do have some like government support, like a uh, training scheme, I believe. If you're above 25-ish, you do get $500 from the government and you can use these credits to offset the cost of these workshops and stuff. Yeah, but why? I, I would say I wouldn't suggest people to really, really pursue the certification because at the end of the day, I always tell people that I hope they do stay in coffee, but uh, in the long run, I feel that especially in such a first world economy, like it's not really a sustainable job, especially if you want to have a family and all that stuff because uh, everything is getting super expensive. But a barista is a good starting point. And we do have a lot of people that move on to become head baristas, roasters, uh, even like they still work in coffee, but maybe they've moved up to like office positions and all that. Yeah, so barista is kind of like an entry point job into that. Yeah. So 
when we talk about SCA, just always remind, reminds me what happened in uh, in Ukraine, and then as they, uh, you know, are we are we allowed to talk about this? We are powerful. because we SCA know. suspended Russian competitors. We can, uh, we can say anything we want. Free, free world should be. <laughs> yeah, uh, I interview a few uh, Russian baristas that talk about that. You know, they they are against the war, right? They're, uh, they don't like the war uh, happening in Ukraine. And they're barista. They have been training for, for years, too. And as you may know, that be, to compete on the international stage, uh, and you are now from an English-speaking country like America or the UK or Ireland, and you have to learn English to compete. That's just another level of suffering for those guys. And then they feel betrayed when they know that SCA suspend all Russian competitors from the international stage. And then I think it's just not fair. And I kind of, yeah, I'm happy about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was just my thought about SCA. I, didn't, and, I uh, didn't like it. I didn't like it either, I have to say, because... Uh, because a big part about coffee events and competitions and everything. I mean, what's the number one word you put next coffee? It's usually community. And I, I, I have to say I didn't like it either. That like they uh, suspended them. But it's like I said before, it's a business. It's an organization that does business. And all businesses in these situations, all they want to do is being seen doing something about it. It wasn't a surprise for me either. Yeah, makes sense. And they, they talk about their value and mission is about the coffee community and connection. But I think in this case, they really didn't uh, do anything about that. They go the, the opposite direction, which very disappointing. Anyway, I, I never, uh, I was never a barista or I would never get a, any SEA, you know, courses for sure. I, I think I will learn coffee from, let's say, Morgan drinks coffee, Morgan, right? Mm -hmm. She's pretty good at teaching, and she's the new champion there. She's the new champion, yeah, right? <laughs> uh, it's awesome. She's cool. And then we have so many awesome people that world champions, and they share the knowledge for free online. You can always learn a lot, actually. And I also believe that a lot of home brewers, especially after the pandemic, they become very professional. I think many of them probably are better than barista work in the shop. Uh, anything uh, else you want to share with the audience today? <laughs> I think... I, I, I think like you mentioned, uh, YouTube is a really great, really great resource for people to learn about coffee. Uh, I believe once you're of a certain caliber, like when you've learned everything, you can dial in shots like a pro. Some people can do it in like one try. <laughs> just, just looking at their grinder every day. But yeah, because a lot of people on YouTube, uh, not only are they good content creators, but they're actually very very nerdy about coffee and most of them actually are very highly educated and they can go really in-depth on some stuff which they produce very interesting and complex content i would say especially people like lance hendrick uh james hoffman our most entertaining coffee guy on the internet he recently had a podcast with uh, a fairly large youtuber that normally posts about productivity advice uh ali abdal yeah that was a really interesting conversation especially for anybody that uh aspires to open a coffee shop in the future and uh, what something he said was that a lot of people like the idea of opening a business but don't like the idea of running a business 
mm-hmm. or they're ignorant to it because they've never yeah they've never tried it before but yeah okay. opening a business is really interesting it, it opens it opens your eyes to the world i would say i think i'd be one of those people that's afraid of opening a business the idea sounds amazing right you can be a business owner you can have your coffee shops but then you really start running it you feel like hmm this is not what i thought i think for me yeah. maybe down the line i have it in my mind but right now i feel i can the idea of it only seems restrictive to me because i'd have to be 100% there like uh, and uh, give my time to that as it would be like my business baby or something well right now i'm not in that like a uh, stage in my life i'd like to i like to travel and i like to not have too many responsibilities and I don't know when that's going to go away. <laughs> no. I remember you said you had a plan to uh, make a coffee trip. Yeah. How's that going? Yeah, well, I'm still here. <laughs> I haven't started yet. <laughs> <laughs> You're still here. Yeah, I'm still, still in Greece, you know. I'm traveling a bit like, well, actually, uh, you know, the, it was supposed to happen. And then there's a lot of things... Um, I kind of like hindered that, including the pandemic and the third, I think, lockdown was at the time. Anyway, so I, it's still in my mind. I think I'm still going to do it, but I need more time to organize it because uh, I'm not alone in this, of course. And so we just need a little bit more time to uh, get things started because like having a, a little van and going around takes a bit of, takes a bit more planning than we thought it would, actually. Um, but I have one idea right now that I think might come into fruition, if not this year, maybe next year. Um, I'm checking out uh, coffee farms in uh, Workaway to um, maybe take a trip there for a month or two to volunteer and work there. That sounds a great idea. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the the Workaway platform. Mm, Nope. Uh, It's like like workaway.info? I think it's called anyway work away and then you can just like um find volunteer opportunities everywhere in the world so some people want you to volunteer at their coffee farm or they might want you to uh, uh babysit their kids in Japan or something or they want you to help them build an ecological campsite in Denmark you know and then basically they give you uh most of the time they give you accommodation and food and then you just stay with them for a while and then get to know them, help them, get to know the culture, get to travel, stay somewhere for free in exchange for uh, work um, or volunteer work. So I'm thinking of doing that because uh, one of my goals is uh, one day to uh, visit Origin and learn more the, uh, about it, about the whole process there. And, you know, like actually do the things I write about. <laughs> I, I know a lot of the things, but then... <laughs> It would be interesting to actually do them myself, you know, and I think that would uh, that would help my writing as well. Um, yeah, so that's cool. That's a good idea. I think we definitely can help you. At I'm the Bursal platform. We know many roasters. We know many coffee friends, and such as Pak from Thailand. He's working with the farmers directly, and he usually travels there, pick up cherries and stuff. Maybe you want to go to Thailand, right? It's yeah, good weather there. I'd love to go to Thailand. Nice That's food. What we're talking about this today, Thailand. Yeah, <laughs> let's make you a trip. Let's make you a trip. <laughs> oh, we were actually talking about going to Thailand. Mike, really? let's go to Thailand For and eight. volunteer. Mike. Might be going to Thailand at the end of the year, like a few of us, like the roasters and such, 
to help out at a farm in Chiang Rai or just check things out? Yeah, well, that's great. Add one more person to this trip, you know, this little Greek lady. <laughs> <laughs> Come to Singapore, we'll bring you around. Make it happen. Coffee Connect. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. Wonderful. You guys definitely should make it happen, you know, and then I will sponsor some free t shirts. <laughs> <laughs> I like That'll it. That would be cool, yeah. I like it. And, and the cap, the hat. I just want to add something. Of course. If anybody's that listening to this and is intending to come to Singapore, please get in touch. <laughs> we'll bring you around for some great coffee. <laughs> oh, now, now I have to Greece? say the same thing about Greece. You can't just come to you know? <laughs> okay, guys, you can contact me through, you know, of course. Oh, okay, up. so guys, so how we can find you on Instagram if you're really interested in, you know, going to Singapore or go to Grace and meet, meet you guys? Uh, if you're intending to come to Singapore, you can uh, drop me a DM on Instagram. It's uh, Messi Malayan. I think we'll probably add a tag in our Instagram posts or on the website. Or you can even drop us a DM at Coffee in SG and we'll definitely bring you around. Or if we have time. Otherwise, we can just trade coffees or something. How we can find you, Vasilia? Uh, my, my Instagram is the.wandering.bean, which is also my blog, thewanderingbean.com. And you can contact me through the blog, through my Instagram, like any way you like. And yeah, I'm, I'm always open to like, give a tour. I also have built a little map of uh, all the specialty coffee shops I've been to, which includes Greece, of course. But... If you're ever looking for any other recommendation about where to visit, you can check out the maps on my blog and just see my recommendations. I've been to a few countries uh, already. And yeah, and I'm always happy to talk coffee, you know, hang out. Be fun. Thanks for tuning in to this I'm Not a Barista episode. Subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Instagram at I Am Not a Barista for more empowering vibes and true coffee stories that connect you with coffee lovers around the world.